It is 8.34 on Wednesday morning, everyone, the 27th. Uh, I'm not very good at keeping track of time. Uh, thanks for joining in on KafaruCast. I have got uh, on the other end of the the mic a uh, longtime friend, and uh, I don't know what your technical name at Hoyt is, but Evan Williams with uh, Hoyt USA. What's up? Good morning, Kafaru Nation. How's everybody doing today? <laughs> what is your, your technical job title over there? Because I know you wear about 95 hats. Yeah, so the uh, the title I've got at the moment is uh, Pro Staff Manager. Gotcha. So I, I, I still like janitorial services, but, uh, you know, it just it depends on the day. Yeah. So oh, I'm sure. Rolled roll, roll that over from my, my job at the shop in Colorado. Pretty proud of it. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to say, Evan and I have known each other a long time. So Evan is from Kansas originally, and then... You can fill in the blanks when I'm done, I guess. You worked for Bill Pellegrino's Archery Hut. You worked for Kafaro for a while and then and a few other shops. And then you ended up taking a job with Hoyt four years ago. How long, how long has it been? Yeah, yeah. September will be five. Yeah. Holy cow. So tell uh, sure. let, let's hear your life story real quick. How You were in, uh, well, you've, well, I'll let you take it from here, but born <laughs> in Kansas and then go on. Go on. <laughs> Yep, uh, grew up in Kansas, graduated there from a small town uh, in western Kansas, and you know, grew up hunting and pretty much anything I could get my hands on. Uh, Four-sport four sport athlete in high school, and was lucky enough to get a full-ride athletic scholarship to a Division One university in Kansas City, and went out there, got my degree in math and statistics, and the year before the Beijing Olympics, got an opportunity to Move out to Colorado Springs and train at the Olympic Training Center, getting ready for the games tryouts. And as a as a part time gig, was was working in the shop as well as working at Sportsman's Warehouse in the footwear department and trying to make ends meet. And officially retired from my competitive career in 2010, and uh, was at the shop full time at that point and and helping Bill and Arliss, pretty much doing retail sales cashier um all the all the tech work on the bows and again my favorite was a uh, head of janitorial services <laughs> and got a got an opportunity to come out and talk with you and patrick and started a a job at kafaru in customer service answering phone calls and getting guys fitted to their equipment and unbeknownst to me that there was a uh gentleman who was trying to open a new shop and my name had come up in conversation and they didn't think they'd ever seen me leave bills and approached with what I thought was an incredible offer and didn't turn out to be so and went back to the shop and about three months after going back to Colorado Springs and, and working for Bill and R got an opportunity to move out here to Salt Lake to work for Hoyt's marketing team um, originally in business development marketing coordinator's assistant so i was the one organizing all of our booth products um all of our booth setup takedown and then traveling to all the shows doing our videos and if you i guess if you will kind of being the the face of hoyt for a little bit gotcha now when you were talking about like the i i remember the one shop that you you kind of got promised the world and everything went to hell in a handbasket from the outside looking in anyway um yep yep pretty quick 
Yeah, so the Hoy job actually ended up coming up at the right time. I know that's like a pressure cooker position for for Hoyt because you've got a lot of crap flying at you and a lot of different uh, angles. How long did it take uh, you to get a handle on things there where you didn't feel like you were going to have a panic attack, or was it fairly smooth from the beginning? <laughs> oh, uh, I jumped in with both feet, and uh, some days they're still burning. <laughs> so No, it's... Uh, I've been in this role now just over four years, um, and there's days where I still don't feel like I've got a handle on it. It's like any other any other company, especially in our industry, where you've got you've got your peak seasons and your slower times. And you know, lucky for us, right now is our our slower time for what the majority of my job description entails. So it's a little easier to breathe. And uh, typically, this time of year, I'm doing a lot more travel, trying to get to shows and events and and shoots and spend more time with our archers on the competitive scene. And um, so that face-to-face interaction is always one I enjoy and, and kind of get to relax and settle down and enjoy more of the job versus when it comes around to catalog and new product launch and ATA show and, and that, you know, pretty much November to middle March time frame where I don't even hardly get time to, unpack a bag before it seems like I'm reloading it and off on another flight somewhere. Gotcha. What, um, as far as actually curiosity, the, the COVID thing, I would imagine that was a life crusher for a while for you guys. Cause being like all, you know, bow manufacturers dealer driven, I would imagine you guys had to shoot, move and communicate and shift fire in multiple different ways. When, when all this hit, how much of a pain in the butt has that been to deal with? Um, it's actually been, smoother than we had imagined. Um, we were kind of in a gray area with our, our county and city, kind of how they were handling their respective zones. Um, so we never went on full lockdown, didn't have to shut the doors, uh, didn't have to shut production down, um, made some changes to our manufacturing floor to, uh, to kind of work on social distancing, opened up a couple things and, and kind of moved employee locations with who was where and what they were doing and, you know, trying to make it as safe for everybody and, and just watch. And, you know, luckily we have not had a single employee test positive. So we've been extremely fortunate with that, you know, and, and as you and I'm sure all your listeners are aware, being a dealer direct manufacturer, um, it did hit us financially on that side as far as the sales go. But there was a lot of states that were not being extremely aggressive on their lockdown. So while shops were not allowed to be open, you know, I talked to a number of dealers that were doing individual one-on-one appointment onlys and were still accepting UPS shipments and getting product in when they could and still placing orders and still taking care of their customers. So, you know, adapt, improvise and overcome. Gotcha. What do you think, uh, as I'm kind of firing off questions, these are random, I guess, but I get a ton of these. The um, carbon and aluminum bow uh, debate, I get that all the time, guys asking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much this you, you can actually divulge, I guess, but is is the aluminum higher-end bow or the carbon higher-end bow your biggest seller? And talk a little bit about that as far as you know, maybe what people should look at if they're looking to get a carbon or aluminum bow, why they should choose one more than the other. Yep. Um, I think per unit, um, I think we're actually starting to pull ahead on the carbon side. 
when you're comparing apples to apples when it comes to aluminum versus carbon, the truly only difference is, again, total mass weight, which is a product of the material itself. Spec to spec going across the bows, um, you'll see same axle axle, same brace height, same draw length ranges. Um, if you got the same limbs, same cams, same pocket, um, the Redworks Carbon Series has our custom tuned grip. Um, so it's got a little bit thicker throat. It's a little bit more of a beefier grip. So if you've got a bigger hand, you may find it more comfortable. And the reason for that is underneath that grip, we have a plate that you can shift laterally or left and right 50 thou either direction from center. So that allows us to alter your individual hand pressure in that grip for an extra tuning adjustment. So instead of having a yoke tune and a lateral adjustment on your rest, you now have a third option in that grip. So it's a lot more user-friendly and easier to adjust without having to touch that rest, especially if you're shooting a bigger fixed blade or cut-on-contact broadhead where you need the most clearance in that window as possible. Because uh, if you're like me, I've got a shorter 28-inch draw. Um, I go super short on my arrows where I'm about maybe three-eighths of an inch over my rest at full draw. So that arrow, that broadhead, is being brought all the way back into my sight window and sitting in the middle of my shelf. So I want as much clearance as I can get. The aluminum runs our exact grip. Um, that was introduced in 2018. It's a combination of our old ProFit grip, which was the uh, wooden grip that we had that you could replace or shoot side plates, um, and our target grip, which is a straight on the riser, thinner throat, so it reduces contact pressure and the amount of surface area that is physically being held by the archer. Um, that's the more comfortable grip to me. That's what's on our aluminums. And then from there, your your shop cost difference is probably going to be in that five to six hundred dollar price range, um, depending on again what shop you're visiting, um, since they do kind of set their own prices based on their tier level dealership with us. Yeah, but you're looking on um a, a carbon bow, you're pushing what seventeen eighteen hundred bucks, and an aluminum bow, you're at what eleven twelve hundred. Yep, standard. Yep. So for for me, and I've shot Hoyt for a long time off and on, and and I had a you guys quit making them, I think, because of me. I think I had a 90-pound, God, what, what, it was uh, the carbon, man, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I'm pretty sure your last one was a Matrix, and I don't remember if it was a Matrix Plus, which was the 2011 model, or if it was the... I shot my RTP. caribou with it in 13, or 14, whatever so thir- year yeah. that was. Yeah, 13 would have been the G3, 14 was the first year of the spider series that's what it was a carbon spider turbo yeah and that thing it at that that poundage was dangerous uh i have no idea mm-hmm. why i ever tried to shoot that thing at that much i could i could shoot whatever i wanted with it and go through it but do you when you guys like have you seen trends change uh much like i know cam shoots 80 pounds and and not that many uh years ago i would get blasted for shooting 80 pounds and now it seems like more people this is my perspective, obviously. I don't know if this is true. Are you getting more 80-pound bows, heavy 70, 80-pound bow orders, or about the same or less? We are. 
We are. And what really surprises me is the amount of 80-pound orders I see in white-tailed markets. And I don't know if that is because guys like Cam are doing it or what I personally feel. Because I, I mean, I'm like you. Like I, I first got in the industry and I was running, I think it was an 84-and-a-half-pound Katera in 2009 is where my bow came in at. And it felt like every pound of 84-and-a-half. Today's cams are smoother. Um, we've got better limb material. We've got better engineering in the cam design. Like last year, I shot 77 and a half. My setup right now is like 75 and a half, 76. And they don't feel that way. Like I was able to draw on a turkey at 40 yards in the open and him only go a yard and me getting the full draw. So bows are smoother. They don't feel like the 80 pound plus bows that used to be built. Um, and that's part of the reason, you know, we get a lot of people asking for 80 pound turbos with the energy that today's bows are producing. You don't need it. No, like, I can like, firsthand like say that. Truly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I always like to compare our turbo models to the old PSE full throttle, which was a, a five inch brace height. And there was speed bow at the time, which was, I think doing 370 feet per second. And when you start comparing apples to apples and how those bows are built, you know, we've got a six inch brace height, they've got a five. So if we designed our 350 foot per second turbo model and we shortened it up to a five inch brace height, we'd pick up, let's say 10 feet per second. It would be more, but for ease of numbers, 10 feet. So that puts our bow now at 360 feet per second. We were also at the time building our strings with a 28-strand string and cable system where they were running 20, maybe 18, depending on what year it was made because um, those were aftermarket ABB custom strings. And so if we reduce our strand count, we pick up another 10 feet per second, and all of a sudden we're sitting in that 370 to 375 range. But because we are very, very consumer safety conscious and we hold ourselves to a different standard in our testing procedures, we won't do it. it it's not needed. And then trying to find an arrow that's going to tune out of a setup like that. I mean, you get a guy like yourself at, you know, 29 and a half, 30 inches of draw, trying to push 82 pounds on a turbo model, which is now going to be out there producing, you know, 375 feet per second at 80 plus pounds, it's going to be really hard to find out it's going to work for that setup, especially with guys shooting heavier FOCs now. Being more on the track guy, you, you understand front of center and balance and what front weight does to your arrow. The more front weight you have, the quicker you break down your arrow spine. So you could start with a 100 spine arrow, but if you're trying to throw a 75 grain brass and still shoot 125 or 150, 55 grain broadhead up front, you're going to weaken that arrow real, real quick. Well, I just had a guy with a 31-inch draw and uh, shooting 84 pounds out of the bow I just had ordered from from you guys. The but it's a 34-inch Axius, and I he, <laughs> yeah, I was like, hey, dude, you're not going to be able to call too many arrow manufacturers and them understand what you're trying to do and knock it out of the park on the spine. Like, what do you mean? I said, you're trying to shoot 250 grains up front with 84 pounds on a 31-inch draw. 
that's like a fraction of a percent of a percent. There's just not many guys that are going to call with that specific mathematical equation. And he's like, what do you think? And I said, well, you're going to either shoot a 250 spine real short or a 200 spine. And I'm not sure, but you'll, you know, you'll get it to fly either one, one of them, but you're going to, you know, 200 spine arrow. Well, he ended up with like a 730 grain arrow doing 250 something. Yeah. It might've been. And he was tearing a little bit stiff and I'm like, well, did you start full length? No, no. I, I talked to the arrow manufacturer and they said, you know, I should be fine at 30. And I'm like, eh, well, they were wrong, man. That's why I told you to start full length. Cause I don't know. I don't have a 31 inch draw and this heavy FOC thing. Like I, I can tune. So it's easier for me to, I got an arrow saw, right? A bow press. Like you can reinvent the wheel a lot more when you have that kind of uh, equipment at your disposal, meaning I start full length, start cutting back. This is compounder stick and I hunt more with a stick, but I obviously more, you know, I get tons of compound questions. So generally let's say for you, um, and I got to run and open the door. So just give you a minute to answer it. A guy shooting 29 inch, 28 to 29 inch draw at 70 ish pounds. What would you say the standard arrow setup or the arrow setup you would, suggest for a guy like that for you know elk mule deer whitetail the whole you know kind of average get you done for everything and i i would start with again a, a 340 spine and that's not running any brass if you're going to run brass or a heavier foc immediately i'm going to tell you a 300 so my setup 28 inch draw that that mid to upper 70 pound uh, which would kind of be the equivalent of a uh like a 72 on a 29 inch guy um, that, that 340 spine basically cut an inch under draw length, carbon to carbon. So I'm not accounting for insert or knock or anything else. That's kind of where I have found my sweet spot. Arrow weight wise, uh, most of my setups are coming in between 427.2 grains on my injection setups, which is just, uh, the standard 20 grain deep six insert with a hundred grain broadhead. So I'm running 120 total up front. Um, and then my 300 spine setup that I've got on my turbo right now is 436.3. So, and that's, and that's been kind of my bread and butter. I've, I've never had to shoot or I've never built an arrow because of my draw length. that is over 440 grains without, manipulating the components and going more brass or 125 up front or something like that. And though that's a pretty, I'd say average, you know, setup with everything going on in the world today, uh, with, with the, when you've been at this a long time, just like anything, there's different fads. You got the bent brim, you got the flat brim, you got bell bottom mm-hmm. jeans, you got sagging jeans, you got now you got tight, what are they called? Uh, Skinny jeans? Yeah, skinny jeans. Archery, yeah, yeah. back in the day, you know, you, you, if there for a while, 23, 12, 22, 12, 50 or 80 grain, you know, PDP or, or hot point, whatever, inch and 1.75 inch, super swedges. There. And then you got IBO, you, you got this the speed demon craze where you were, you know, if you weren't firing over 300 feet per second, and there's all these different levels, you know, of of what's changed in the, the industry. Remember when bow doodles were big and then dropaways came out oh. and crazy shit. You've went through all these changes as well. 
the one thing that is kind of like a common sense factor and, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's going to be anomalies. I would say, um, when I say an anomaly, there's going to be guys that just are weird and want to shoot a 380 grain arrow at almost everything. And then there's going to be the other weird side of guys that are shooting a compound with a 600 grain arrow at 70 pounds lobbing logs. 450 grains for a 27 to 30 inch draw length to 500 grains is a pretty average. With the technology nowadays and speed you're going to get and everything, I would say it's fairly average arrow setup. Would you remotely agree or do you look at things a little different? No, I absolutely would. Um, and especially guys on that shorter end. Um, most of them, you know, they would be finishing off probably in that four, 420 to 440 range. Um, but the trend I'm seeing right now is again, that, that heavier front of center. So just that everybody is running brass and more guys are want to push, you know, not the standard hundred grain, but they're looking at 125 or even heavier up front, even on compounds. You know, I'll talk to guys that are having troubles, you know, tuning a setup with 220 or 250 total up front with point and insert weight. I can tell you, though, the axis I was screwing around with at uh, Phil's shop the other day, I had, I just took my trad arrow and cut it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was 78 pounds with a 300 spine arrow. Now, I had to cut it almost to the arrow rest. You know, I was maybe a quarter inch over the rest, so... You know, I'm 20, 26 and 7 eighths, 27 and an eighth, carbon to carbon. Uh, I got a heavy wrap in the back, and I, I had four hybrids, so I stiffened it up a little bit in the back, and I had, I literally had my 100-grain components and just threw a 125 up front. That thing tuned perfectly. Now, is that a standard setup? Some guys might need to drop down to 250. Depending upon, like, you're not going to fire that same arrow through your speed bow. That cam right. is softer out of your, when I say softer, uh, not just the cam, the geometry of the bow, you are definitely, when you go to a speed bow, you are going to have to drop down, especially when you're pushing the ragged edge like I am. You know, you go to a, I think it's a Helix Turbo is is your current speed mm-hmm. bow. You're going to have to drop to a 250 spine. That that cam hits too hard. And that's another thing I don't yep. pe- think people get or, or understand is it's not just your draw length and the spine of the arrow. It's not blueprinted. It's not that black and white. It also is the bow you're shooting, and and quite honestly, how shitty your form is. You can get away, I think, with a little bit crappier form with a stiffer arrow than you can with a weaker one than tuning broadheads. Um, And you, who's worked on hundreds of thousands of bows in a pro shop, what would you say probably the the, the number one or no top three things people are having issues with when it comes to tuning? Um, Inconsistent hand or grip placement getting into the string too much with facial pressure and then punching the holy living. Oh my God, get this thing out of my trigger quick and just dumping shots. And when you, when you haven't taken the time or really focused on it, if it's something you've always done, because it's habit, like guys tuck their thumb under their jaw, their hands, all their fingers are straight out in line with their, with their lip and they're aiming and aiming, and all of a sudden the entire hand closes, they punch the trigger, and the shot's done. They, a lot of times you don't even realize you're doing it because everything happens so quick or you get caught up in the moment versus just, okay, anchor in, wrap that finger around the trigger, make connection, squeeze, and slowly execute a shot. 
So I would, and I would tell people even, uh, you know, grab a buddy and have them film just your face and your release in your hand. It will be depressing. In slow motion. If you've ever missed an animal and wondered how did I miss an 18 yard chip shot so badly, slow motion video yourself shooting and it'll start slowing some of those processes down and those even longer shots will become much easier and you'll gain a whole lot more confidence very, very quickly. Oh yeah. Well, while we're talking about that, I actually had a question last night, uh, from a guy that he said, why is it when I shoot a a thumb button release, a standard, you know, a standard thumb button triggered release compared to my hinge, do I shoot three inches left? And I said, well, man, it's, it's variable. Your thumb button and your hinge may not have the same length, what I call a shank or, or, um, the part coming through your fingers may be a different yep, length. Yes. Yep. Head, head length, I call it. Yep. yep. Head length. That's one. How they dump off the, the D loop is another. The oscillation of the string may change from one to the other. Um, obviously what the way you anchor with one to the other, uh, different facial pressure, um, the way you're gripping the bow, you may change your grip and not even know it because of a different draw length. If the bear or the head, uh, is, is a different length. And people don't realize if you go and you watch somebody and you measure the center of their arrow to their bus cable for 20 shots, if that changes an eighth of an inch or a 16th of an inch, you are changing things dramatically each shot. And that goes for off cambered shots, angled shots, your grip, right? You could have everything the same and you're, you're all cocky wobble because of the positioning you're in, you know, for the shot. But if you're doing it, if it's self-induced, meaning you're doing it with your grip alone, if you stand back behind someone and that dimension's changing, you will never get an arrow to tune consistently because you're changing your tune from one shot to the next. That's the same thing, even if your grip's the same, but you're changing the length of the, you're going from an index finger to a two-finger handheld to a three-finger thumb button. That changes everything dynamically from shot to shot to shot. You can't, you can't, everything's got to be the same. And I, I think that people, when you're talking about punching the trigger, when you hammer that trigger, you can't be hammering it consistently every time. Less pressure, meaning you're not under pressure. You might not be punching it as bad. And next thing, you're like you said, all four fingers are coming down in this violent movement. The, your point of impact, especially with a broadhead on, is going to change. So when you talk about slow motion video, that will depress the crap out of people if you video them slow-mo because they're almost in denial. It's like alcoholism. I'm not punching the trigger. Let me show you. (laughs) Yeah. That's not my shot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to wrap people's head around. When I first got into the target aspect of shooting, you know, I did a bunch of research and, you know, man, all these, all these top level world-class athletes are running buttons because they've got a little bit more control in the wind where they can maintain pressure. And if they need to get on a shot, they can a little bit more, like there's a, a touch more control. So I went out and bought a 200 and, you know, $60 thumb button and started shooting and didn't realize the habits I was creating to the extent that for 10 years, I did not touch a thumb button. I target shot with a hinge, no click. Uh, so a hinge is basically a, a straight post with a half moon on the back end. And a lot of manufacturers, one end of that connection is just a, a smooth dump into that vertical grade and the other side there's a little step and it's called a click so 
So as your release mechanism, the hook, drags the half moon of the hinge, the base of it dumps into that recess area and it makes a click sound and it tells you where you're at in your shot. Well, I had that completely taken out and flipped the moon around to where I didn't know where I was at in my shot at all. Like there was no anticipation. You have to stay on it, continue aiming and just execute your shot. And I did that target and hunting for the last three years before I went back to a hen, a uh, thumb button. And I would hunt with an index trigger and then completely got away from it because it was so different between my target bow and my hunting bow that I put all my releases up except for my one hinge that I shot everything for. And it was target and hunting, same release, no changes. Man, that's probably something we should talk about because we all fall into the, you know, when you're young and impressionable, the emulation of more known archers because I'm in the same boat as you. I'll I'll break a barrel off a handheld release. I mean, I can fire it while people are watching and make it look like I know what I'm doing and then an animal gets in front of me and I'll punch it. And I can fire them well enough, but I just got to a point where I hunted with a hinge for and shot tournaments for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I mean, I shot a hinge forever. And the when I when I weighed out the pros and the cons, the pros far outweighed the cons. Uh, when you talk about wind and everything else, because I had such a violent reaction at times, you know, operating a thumb button. And I kind of did the same thing as you at that time. Jeff Hopkins was a really big name. Um, you know, obviously Bill shot fingers, but Bill was around. He shot a thumb button. Um, you know, Randy Omer was shooting a Colby, I think, a two-finger Colby. Uh, Tony Clem was mm-hmm. shooting a Colby. So, you know, I learned a lot from from Bill at that time. And then, you know, later on from, from Tony Clem, obviously, with the hinge side of things. And, you know, the one thing I learned, like you talk about burying your face uh, into the string you know, the least amount of contact I had on my face, just enough to get a solid anchor point and consistency was better for me in the, in the long run. Um, you know, for, especially when you start poking them out there between 60 and a hundred, your imperfections are massively, um, you know, extrapolated once you get out to those longer distances, all of that stuff. And even go ahead, even going draw length. Oh Lord. Yes. Quarter inch draw length adjustment. So again, if, if you're used to shooting, let's say you're used to shooting an index trigger and you switch to that thumb button or that hinge, um, like you've talked with guys, I'm getting some shift of impact. The difference in that head length is changing your respective draw length in relation to how you anchor and your arm extension. That quarter inch adjustment in draw length can be the world of a difference, especially when you start talking about angles. Yeah. Yeah. Tuning, for example, when you talk about that, if you have a guy that is aware of torquing a bow and everything else, meaning like a a guy like yourself, you can grab someone's bow probably from 29 and a half down to 27 and fire a bullet hole by just paying attention when you shoot through the paper. And then you hand him his own bow and he's tearing, you know, an inch left uh, or right or whatever. When you're, when you, when you have a bow, it's not, just because you've matched the spine chart and every everything in a perfect world's correct, if you are imperfect, you have taken that perfect spine chart or or what should be perfect and totally manipulated it in a negative way normally. Uh, the grip, and you talked about that before, is a huge part of that. And so if you can see a guy death gripping the shit out of his 
uh, bow and you see his arrows almost touching his bus cable and then you know you yourself Evan grabs his bow trying to help him tune and fires a bullet hole generally it's because you are not torquing the shit out of it you're not putting a ton of facial pressure on the string you're doing what needs to be done to shoot a bullet hole and some people in my opinion are incapable of shooting a bullet hole because they're so far from the standard center shot what would you want to call it perfect form textbook form uh, execution mm-hmm that you can't adjust the bow or cut the arrow short enough or add enough or take away enough point weight to get the arrow to fly right. And I've had many guys, and whoever's listening to this, I'm sure is like, shit, I'm one of those guys. Dude, I got a 250 spine arrow, and I've cut it all the way down. There's no way this thing should fly. I'm still tearing, you know, whatever. Well, that's because your grip sucks probably. Um, Your draw length's too long, which makes you lean back, which, you know, takes away – your alignment and so on and so forth. And I can only imagine the pain in the ass you went through working at pro shops, trying to get guys to shoot bullet holes. I mean, what would you say? How many guys, let's say one, how many out of 10 would you get that you just couldn't get a bullet hole? Oh, 20, upper 20, low 30%. Easy, which, you know, it sounds like a low number, but in, in reality, like it's, it's a pretty significant number. Um, and, and what a lot of that, comes down to is you know as a tech you've got to take a deep breath and all right let's let's stop paper tuning like i've shot it i know it's there okay we're we're good as far as performance of our equipment let's forget about the paper let's go shoot let's relax because it could just be a mental thing too where for whatever reason when you get six eight nine feet off paper you tense up because you know what it should look like and you're almost trying to be so tight that you're forcing it to look like something versus relaxing and executing your shot. You could go to a bail and start shooting, and all of a sudden you're not gripping, you're relaxed in your shot, you've got no facial pressure, like everything just sets up nice, and you've got a clean break of the release. And it's just when you put paper right in front of them, everything gets tense. So, and, I, and, I, and I had that too. I, I compare that to you ever see somebody that gets really nervous when you get ready to check their blood pressure and their blood pressure was fine. Then you go to check it and they know you're checking it. And so their blood pressure spikes. Same principle yep. of what Evan's talking about shooting through the paper, you know. And so now you've taken your calm, perfect self and you want it to be perfect so bad that you start to tense up and then you fuck up the paper tear. So I as we talk about this people this is stuff to think about when you're having issues tuning it uh, other things too like with the Hoyt which I don't think you guys actually recommend this so I probably shouldn't talk about it pretty much guaranteed the way I put my hand on a grip of a Hoyt guaranteed the way you guys send it out which is the factory spec I got to put three twists in the left yoke I'm going to get a little bit of left tear out of a Hoyt almost every one every time I put a little cam lean in it I don't think you guys actually suggest this so I'm sorry, ahead of time to Hoyt. I put three twists in that left yoke, bullet holes. I can do it before I even shoot it, and it's almost every time. That's not the bow manufacturer's fault. They send it out to spec. It's because of my grip on a Hoyt or how I grip a bow in general. I know that, but I don't know. Do you guys actually, you guys really don't suggest to to yoke tune, do you? I go two and a half twists. What what about (laughs) Hoyt as a manufacturer? They get, because if you can derail the. You can, get, you can you 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 can take them too far. Absolutely, 
However, we do, and if you go back far enough, you know, that last 2014 carbon spider that you shot had a six-inch yoke. So, yes, you can take them so far that they do basically derail themselves. That line is three to four twists heavy on the left side. So you and I, with how we shoot and how we set up, are riding that line, yoke tuning the way we do. It's still fine. Newer model bows, since we have went to the ZT cable platform, where we've widened out that lower stance, we've got the dual module system, we now have a 9-inch yoke because we can no longer twist that lower cable, so everything has to be done up top. Lengthening that yoke out gives you more distance to do that. Um, and it is, it is perfectly fine. That's one of the things that we, we talk about when it comes to tuning is you have three different ways to tune our bows on the carbon side. The first one, you should always go to that custom tune grip. If you've got over an inch tear, I mean, even, even three quarters or a half. Um, I've seen that 50 thousandths grip shift clean a three-quarter inch tear up completely just moving the grip didn't have to touch another thing i think that was kind of on the the outliers when you look at a bell curve um just the way that that gentleman got into his grip but move your grip first you as an archer aren't going to feel a difference at all it's the same grip you're shifting at 50 thousandths is it either direction so you're going to be inputting more or inputting less depending on the direction that you have to go on the grip for your tear that you're, you're throwing through paper. The second place you're going to go once you've got your grip adjusted and you've got that tear broken down a little bit is always go to your yokes. If you're not comfortable, what you want to do is just take an arrow, lay it flat against for a right-handed shooter, the outside or the left side of your upper cam, okay, and if it crosses, no more than uh, where your peep's at. So from your peep down to your center serving, you're fine. And you can have a buddy stand behind you at full draw. Just make sure you're starting to still track in that cam, and absolutely you're fine. And then your third option is moving that rest, which having the other two, hopefully we never have to get there so you can set your center shot up and get the most out of broadhead clearance. That's our intention behind having those options. And I will say that if you're to the point of moving your rest with a correct arrow spine and and the bow is set up correctly and, you know, no no contact issues. with Anyway, it is the shooter. You are just – you have piss poor form. And there, I, I mean, I'm not saying that to be a dick. I'm just saying that you have to be realistic. You can't call a bow manufacturer a pro shop and be mad that they can't get you to shoot a bullet hole because you suck. That's not their fault. There's only so much a pro shop or a bow manufacturer. And this is any bow manufacturer. It wouldn't matter if I had Evan on here, somebody from the other 700 bow manufacturers. There's only so much you can can do. And with what Evan had talked about, and I talked about this on other podcasts, you should be able to go 90 degrees off the string or a touch knock high, in in my opinion, and be fine. I, I actually set my bows up a just a hair knock high and it's probably more Mm -hmm. mental or personal preference center shot. You should be able to stay center shot, you know, for the most part. And when I say that meaning you can fudge it a little left and right when you're micro tuning or bear shafting, but 
your your grip, right? The grip and the yoke tuning yep. should solve. I mean, if you're bumping your arrow rest in eight three sixteenths left and right, you've got bigger problems. Now you may not be able to fix those problems, but I'd say ninety nine point nine 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 percent it is not the bow. It is it is the shooter. Now that's my personal opinion. Do you, would you agree with that, or you think I'm out to lunch? Nope, nope, I'm with you. So and it and again, it could be grip. You could have a perfect grip, and you could have a stiffer G loop material that you are shooting a handheld release. So when you're coming back and twisting your hand to come into anchor, that stiffer material is manipulating your center serving at the knock point, which is now rotating your arrow and causing issues. I've seen that. You know, I've, I've played with different materials between Spectra, BCY24, uh, D-Braid. Um, I don't even know what we had in the shop originally. It was a stiffer material because it, it held up better. It was more durable for hunting and I've went to a lot softer material since I started shooting a handheld release because of it. Well, and, and I agree a hundred percent because I can't, what is it? Piney Ridge is it, one of them's like just stiffer than woodpecker lips. And I, I do, I well, am not yeah. a fan of, of stiff D loop. Now, as I say that you don't want to shoot D loop. That's like a limp noodle unless you know, you want to change it out more frequently, but there's a happy, uh, medium D loop stiffness. And when you get a super stiff one, one, you're going to have a hell of a time getting that thing to grip onto the damn serving, right? It's just difficult to make, take yeah. a good bite. Yep. The other thing too, when you're tying in your knock points, like, uh, most pro shops nowadays or, or more, most people are going to tie, um, some serving a little bit above and below your knock to keep away from knock pinch. That's another thing that, that I agree with Evan. You already got your torque in the string. You got a stiff D loop. You're you're not you're not anchoring your hand vertical, so you're getting oscillation or more oscillation that's needed on the string. And then you've got knock pinch. And then if you're running like you guys run what twenty four strand strings? Is that or twenty two? Yeah, yeah, we're twenty fours now. So if you're a twenty four strand string and you don't know what you're doing and you throw a thirty one thousandths or thirty thousandths serving material on there. You're about going to bust your knock snapping it on. That is another problem with tuning. Mm -hmm. And I've seen guys take files, and I'm like, what are you filing your knockdown for? Oh, it's it snaps on too tight. It's like, well, reserve your bow, dude. Learn. I mean, they make 14 different kinds of – well, more than that. Like, go down to an 18, 19 thousandths, whatever the hell it is. Like, you want to get to where that knock, for me, snaps on just enough where it doesn't fall off but not where you have to force it on knock pinch and too, too, you know, snapping on a knock too tight will cause nightmares in tuning broadheads. Um, or ha has for me, yep. you know, and I would imagine the shorter axle to axle bows. I mean, I don't know if you can talk about this. What's the worst bow you've ever tuned working at a pro shop? Did anything stick out or shooting for Hoyt? Can you, or working for Hoyt? Can you not mention it? No. Um, I think the hardest ones that come to mind was, I had, a, I had a Matthews Reason 6.5, so it was their, their shorter speed bow at the time for that year. And it had come back after just, I think it was just under a year. And the guy had put all kinds of arrows through it, so we were doing uh, new custom strings from America's Best on it. We're having issues with that one. Um, and it actually, because of, well, long story short, he had, he had actually bent his riser just in shooting. So it was, it was Austin anyway and wasn't wasn't tuning and then uh it was a 
Bowtech Carbon, uh, and it would have been a 2000, I want to say a 2013 model. Um, it had done the same thing where the riser had actually twisted under the load and torque of coming to full draw. And those were the two hardest ones. And then for me, the third hardest I had, I've got a, I've got a buddy who was on the U.S. Uh, trap and skeet team, and he bought a Matthews Monster. That's the top of my list, that one there. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and the, hardest, the hardest one for it, simply because of how he was built, we had, I, think it was the, I think it was the Monster 8. And I can't remember, but he was a 33-inch draw lane. And so I had personal struggles drawing and breaking his bow over because of his draw length. Got it done, but that was one of the harder ones for me. Yeah, I had some difficulty with the, especially, I guess, it was the Monster 6, the lower Brazeite Monsters. The, the fast speedies, yeah. Yeah, I get those to tune. And, and again, like I, I just did kind of a initial bow review with a guy he had talked about, you know, he shot uh, an Axius. Now he's got a longer draw, and he said it vibrated. And I'm like, well, man, that's probably the way it's, you know, set set up, right? And in a longer draw, anytime you go below, this is my opinion, 28 and 29 or above, or you go above 80 pounds or above 70, when you're starting to push outside of the standard parameters of what's deemed to be normal by most people, you're going to run into issues in tuning, potentially. And if, yep. you, if you walk into a shop and they've got to put, you know, you've got the, the different modules and cams and things like that, um, there's going to be, like, for example, one of the best bows for longer draw lengths is your, the double XL. Well, uh, that I've seen anyway. A double XL works great for longer draw lengths. If you have a guy that grabs a 33-inch bow, a 2-inch long D-loop, right, to, to max out the draw length, the string angle on his face, how that bow performs, how the cam performs, what I'm getting at is you should be buying a bow built for a longer draw length than trying to squeak out everything you can from a standard bow. Not to say it won't work, it's just not built for what you, uh, I mean, you're pushing the max, you, you're not going to get the performance and the smoothness out of it as you would a bow built for a longer draw length. And when you are well, like with Evan with the Monster 8, if you have a 32-inch long draw length, um, you should probably be shooting a bow that's a little bit longer axle-to-axle um, because of the draw cycle as well because you're going to be pulling over a couple speed bumps pretty handily if, if it's not built for a longer draw. And I'm kind of rambling here, but what would you say like am i correct on that double xl does that seem to be preferred for longer draw length guys absolutely you know and and it's still a sub 36 um, it's like 35 and three quarters axle to axle a little bit longer brace heights so we're designing that bow specifically for those 32 plus guys um i think it goes to 34 this year because we we changed the limb design slightly to get a little bit longer brace a little bit more performance out of the cam um, and to be able to hit an extra inch in draw length. And it's truly what we pride ourselves as a company is, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your draw length, your draw weight restrictions, your height. Like, take all those individual variables out. We have a bow built and designed that will be perfect for you and how you want to use it. 
you might be on the shorter side of cam if you are a shorter draw length and want to shoot a 34-inch bow at 27 inches, but we've got it. You know, we have a bow in our line for everybody. That's the hard thing from our standpoint as a marketing department is we have so many different options is how, how do you talk about nine or 12 bows every year? Yeah, well, has been been around for three years, and we've made three upgrades on it. I was going to say the whole, of course, it's how the archery industry is, but coming out with new bows every year has to suck. That has to be an epic (laughs) pain. Um, And the reality is technology changes, certainly, like Ultratech was one of my more favorite bows of all time, and and I actually recently shot an Ultratech and was like, wow, it's quite a bit of a difference in the technology because that was before – past parallel that was back on the standard you know cable rod cable slide days there's a lot of technology changes but i would say you could probably lengthen that out to every three years personally and be you know fine but now because of the industry you have to innovate every year which has got to be a pain in the ass for your engineers and marketing department it is you know and and marketing is launching a new product and as soon as we're doing that engineers are already working on the next year's product line like they're they have to be a full year or better out ahead of us because of the testing procedures that we go through with the the dry fire process and the cycling and the amount of cams and riser designs we'll have to go through to make sure that we hit our testing standards like if it doesn't go it doesn't go you know and again like we've talked about all these anomalies they're going to be out there i've seen the dry fire test i've had my bow dry fired it works. When it doesn't work is when someone gets a hold of that grip and torques the tar out of it and accidentally the string slips, somebody says something and they're caught off guard and they jolt and it goes. You torque, you come off the edge of that cam, yeah, you're done. But it will physically hold up to it in that environment of that that non-individual torque. You know, Mike Terry we were talking about earlier at 84 and a half pounds. Bow shop called me and said, hey, we got your bow in. I drove over to the town Picked it up, took it home to go get it built, and had a bunch of buddies over because it was opening day for turkey the following morning. I walked back to grab all my gear, and I heard a boom. And one of my buddies had drawn it back with two fingers, not realizing how heavy it was, and had dry-fired it in the middle of my living room. (laughs) I went through it. The string was still on. Nothing came off other than the string leeches. Walked outside, put a D-loop on it, stuck an arrow in it, drew it. That we're still good. Built it and had turkey on the ground at, I think, 9.30 the next morning. So they're capable of doing it, but not if an individual gets in, grips it, and torques it, and now you're taking that string off the cam. It can't track. The string comes down on your um, axle spacers, splits those, ends up on your axle, and parts and pieces go everywhere because the system was not in line. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that that happens actually more frequently than people probably um, think, which is it's just a rookie move, right? I mean, it just shit happens. But um, I, I've had fifty six bows dry fired in my face in a shop. Yeah, I, I've I've heard stories of Bill going. Bill had to put a sign up at one point of um, or something happened because he had so many people dry fire bows about like a uh you know they had to buy it immediately bill has a bit of a temper as well uh he gets mad at me because i call him bipolar bill but i think it's funny he'll flip out on a guy quick he's a new yorker i can only imagine how many times did you see him go ape shit on guys dry firing bows um not so much on the customer 
Um, I got I got a couple talking tos. <laughs> so I think the best one though, because we had an issue and and we had we had put cameras in and because we had some guys try to break into the shop and I was talking to a customer. I was by myself. It was late at night. I think I had two hours left of the evening and I had a bow in the press. I had a, I had a new guy on the range. I had a guy and his buddy walk in wanting to buy. And so I was trying to check on everybody and get everything done and run around. And, and I talked to the guys in the room, you know, don't draw anything back. The typical spiel you're going to get at a shop. And as I'm coming back off the range, checking on the, the new guy with the bow, just as I hit the, the pro shop area where our presses were at, I heard a, I heard it. It sounds like a, a shotgun going off indoors. And he comes out of the bow room and he's holding, a, it was a Maxis 35. And he just had that sunken face and he's just, uh, yeah, you told me, and I did it anyway. And I didn't have to say anything, and he goes, yep, I did it. And he hands me the bow, and I look at it, and he goes, is it, is it good? I was like, well, give me a second. So I, I took it apart, looked at all the serving, swabbed the limbs, checked everything out, pulled the axles, spun them, put it all back together, walked out on the range, safety glasses on, shot a couple times. Yeah, dude, it's good. He goes, can you put it 29? Yeah, it's changed modules out. Here you go. He shoots, he goes, I want that bow. I'm like, okay, I got a brand new one in the box. He goes, no, 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 no. I just dry fired that bow and it held up to it. I want that exact bow. Build that one. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. That's funny. Just because we're, we're grinding in on an hour here and I don't want to go too much over that. What would you say, well, I'll throw two different scenarios I've seen that were funny. One guy, remember when Matthews came out with the uh, string dampener dealies at the end of by the cam right i can't remember what the oh they're called. yeah the, the the piece mounted to the limb and they were on opposite sides and had the the harmonic on them or whatever it was yeah yeah, yeah. a guy it was, was a it was a 2000, 2005 switchback yep yep that's what it was uh jeff ludke we were at archery adventures he drew it back with his fingers and when he was letting down his hand slid up the string and and it got let it stuck between the uh, the string silencer deal and the string. That was probably one of the funnier things I've ever seen in my life. And then I had another big fat dude draw back a bow, and he kind of rolled it sideways to look, you know, at at something sideways on the bow. And when he let it down, he rolled his stomach up between the string and the cam, and it, it, mm. it curled up in there. That was probably the two craziest things that I've seen as far as uh bow crisis is in physical body injury have you had anything crazy happen like that working at different shops and, and then obviously at Hoyt or stories looking back now knowing everybody was safe and no one got hurt because <laughs> because they are very different situations i think one of the funniest ones is i i had a buddy that had a competitor's brand bow and he kept hearing this click and he goes i can't figure this out and i'm like well your draw stop is loose. Like it's, it's moving on the cam. Like here, let's, let's adjust that. He goes, he goes, no, he goes, it's something else. And he draws his bow back and that post had slid to the short draw side. So when he came around, he actually bent it and broke it off and locked his bow up at full draw. Oh, good Lord. And he, and he went to let down and literally cams are locked. Cables full hundred percent load. And the string came off the top cam in his hand. And he's just looking at me with those deer in the headlights look like, 
I don't know what's going on. Um, so that that was one of those freakout moments because now it's okay. Now you're literally holding a bomb in your hand. Um, so having to run, get it in a press, get a press set up, compress it, get everything back in and and do that. And we had that happen two or three times. Again, now knowing that everybody is safe, I had a buddy at a 3D shoot, D-loop busted on him. And it was fraying and we told him we should replace it. And he finally went to hook up and he put some tension on it, came out right in his waist and, um, you know, like two inches at draw. Walks back to the car, puts a new G-loop on it, comes back out and I was like, you, you might want to like, put some tension on that before you just go to draw. He goes, no, no, it'll be fine. Knocks his arrow, pulls up, gets like three quarters through and he hadn't burned one of his ends in his D-loop and it slipped out because he didn't pre-stretch it and it busted him in the mouth. And it, yeah, we were all on the ground at that one. Was that at Bill's? No, that was that was back home in Kansas at a 3D shoot. I watched a guy in Denver at the ISE show one year at the pop-up. I don't know if he just got in the, in the heat of the moment, but he was shooting a handheld release. And instead of executing on the back end, he let go of the front end. I was there for that. That was a uh, heads-up decoy. Oh, it was. That was uh, 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 Garrett uh, with heads-up decoy. It was a Hoyt. And for whatever reason, I don't know, he had slipped out of his left hand and hit him right in the fucking forehead, dude. It was, I was like, holy cow. And I don't know if it was, I think it, he his palms were sweaty and he was super nervous. And I'm, as yeah, a guest. He, he doesn't wrap, so he was, on a, he was on a slick laminate wood grip. Yep, and it just zipped right back and hit him in the head. I, I saw a guy here in Colorado fire an arrow off at the state indoor, except he didn't have an arrow. It doesn't count as a zero. You didn't shoot your bow. But he was so wrapped up in the moment, he he shot his bow off, aiming down range, no arrow, bow went off. I mean, everybody knew it, looked down, and he kept shooting because it didn't count as a zero because arrow has to leave the bow. <laughs> but I was, like, was, was, he, was he about five foot six, big white beard, glasses, yeah. shooting in shorts with really, really tall, yeah, Donnie. Yeah. yeah. It was a, it was a, it's an ultra, I think it's an ultra elite safari brown. Were you there? He was he was, he was one of the guys. He so he's in Colorado Springs. So he shot in the shop I worked at. I've seen that bow dry fire like seventeen times, and he literally <laughs> he'll just look at it, load his next arrow. He's he's got like a twenty six and a half inch draw length, and he only pulls about fifty one, maybe forty eight pounds on his indoor setup. So there's not a whole lot of energy there because of the the draw length and the the weight he's pulling. And that sucker, he'll just, he gets into a rhythm and it's, he thinks he goes to his quiver, which actually goes right to his release, hooks up and draws and shoots and yeah, we're still good. Grabs his next arrow and just keeps going. So yep. Yep. Donnie. Yeah. That, that's funny. I, uh, it just stuck out in my mind, but anyway, well, man, is there anything else you want to, uh, talk about anything you want to cover with Hoyt, anything super cool coming out, any changes or anything like that before we hop off? Oh, we got lots of cool stuff coming. So be be looking, guys. We don't have launch dates or anything like that set. But yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to you know 2021 and and everything it's going to bring. So it uh, should be a good year, good fall. I'm I'm really looking forward. I finally drew all of my Utah stuff, so I'll have deer and elk in Utah this year. That'll be a first. Um, and then I'll have Kansas and. I can talk my wife into it 
probably come come back to Colorado and try and do some over the counter elk and go uh, go put some miles on the on the boots and get some blood on the Kafaro pack for sure. No, I I appreciate it. I'll have to dig you uh, bug you for inside info if anything's changing on the the, the bow. I uh, I've been getting a million questions on the Satori. I've been shooting that thing insane so well that I had to start filming some of the shots because I'm like, huh. No one's going to believe Dude, this that, shit. Dude, that was it 60, 65-yard buffalo shot the other day? Well, it was crazy. It wasn't just one shot. I My first shot was up high, you know, because I, I got aim over, and I put uh, shot three tens and two eights at 65, and I've, I've been shooting that bow extremely, extremely well, like like super well. And what's crazy is I had a set of Trag Tech limbs that are 55 and then Hoyt uh, Velos limb, carbon limbs, at 50, and those 50-pound limbs actually fire harder than the – uh, they're two feet per second slower than the 55 pound, which I'll take that all day because it's five pounds less. But they actually tune a little bit stiffer arrow. They fire harder, but they're smoother drawing. Uh, I got I, I did a whole whatever write up on this in a, in a podcast I'm, I'm going to release. But those those limbs are very forgiving. Like I can get away with more of a pluck and still end up in the hole, which is huge. And the standard Satori limbs aren't bad. I just you know, if you're really looking for the highest end limb, I mean, the, the Velos is, you know, of course, I don't know if you guys want me to say that or not. I'm a big fan of those limbs. You know, the other limbs are fine. I just, those things are super forgiving and, and good speed on them. And they're quiet as hell. So I've been, I've been happy with yeah, it, man. And, 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 you know, for a number of years, we had the, the two different options in that core of our trad, well, trad analytic style recurve limb. You could have the syntactic foam or we had the uh, rockwood maple core. We had done a lot of experimenting and a lot of R&D using bamboo instead. And what we found with the bamboo, it's lighter, it's smoother, it doesn't stack as much, and it's producing better speed than everything we were getting with the other two options. So, like, on our target side, we no longer offer the syntactic foam. We've gotten rid of it completely. So the only option in our target side um, is the bamboo core. And then on the trad side, you've got your traditional limb, which is going to be a, a maple hardwood core, or you can upgrade to that Velos limb that you're running, which is the bamboo core. Um, it's actually a slightly thinner limb as well. It's like a quarter inch, so an eighth inch off either side thinner, which is also helping to produce a little bit more speed. But because of that bamboo core, it's not going to stack as much. It's going to be smoother on the draw cycle. And it's going to give you better kinetic energy, better momentum, and better speed. Yeah, that, that's what I have. Uh, I've definitely found. And I, you know, the um, with the Trad Tech limb, I, I kind of made the assumption I needed a a heavier limb, so I ordered a fifty five. And then, you know, I have a that last chance bow scale, and so it's pretty accurate digital. Mm-hmm. And what I was able to do, you know, obviously get everything clicker set up as far as lengthwise to get the exact draw length the same and while I'm pulling 56 and change out of one and 60 out of the other, that, you know, four, roughly four, four and change difference, I only lost two feet per second. And I'm like, huh, that's, that's, that's good. Cause two feet isn't shit. And in five pounds for four and change and draw weight. I mean, you're talking night and day difference as far as getting tired from from shooting and just execution it's no different than a compound executing through back tension through a clicker you know you get on target you know 30 35 40 on 3ds you're starting to fizzle where 
four or five pounds less, I'll take that all day. So I got a whole thing I Absolutely. wrote up, whatever, to explain to people how it how it works. But anyway, well, man, I should get off the, the horn here. I appreciate you hopping on. And uh, I guess I don't know how many questions you want to answer from people because you already answer enough. But uh, give away uh, your, your Instagram page um, and where they can check you out. But be careful what you wish for because you may get a lot of questions. Right. Now, yeah, guys, uh, my Instagram is Evan underscore R underscore Williams. Um, and I do get on there a whole lot more um, than, say, uh, Facebook. Um, and then you've also got Hoyt Bowhunting Instagram, Hoyt Bowhunting Facebook. Um, and I do currently do all the, the social media listening and responding there. So if you got questions, guys, hit us up on those platforms. Always happy to answer any questions you got and, and help you through anything. Cool. All right, man. I appreciate everything. And, uh, I'll probably, we'll probably maybe circle back once I get the, um, the Axios dialed in and, and, and may do another podcast on tech stuff with all the questions people send in. But yeah, thanks again. Uh, we'll talk soon enough. Pleasure, buddy. Anything you guys need, let us know. All right. Bye-bye.